This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 512 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. We detect a milestone, the Dynamiker Duo, Ultraman Needs Therapy, Clark Kent, Agent of Spiral, Dial R for Reboot, The League of Annoyance, and Naomi learns an inconvenient truth. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, March 31st, 2019. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs, or can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737, that's 614-321-9SFP. We have three weeks of comics to cover, starting with the second major DC milestone in two years. Detective Comics 1000 by <gasps> Snyder, Capullo, Glapian, Smith, Lee, Williams, Dini, Nguyen, Friedolfs, Ellis, Clunan, O'Neill, Epting, Priest, Adams, Bendis, Malieve, Johns, Jones, Tinian IV, Martinez Bueno, Fernandez, King, Daniel, Jones, Tomasi, Monkey, and Mendoza. <sighs> That's a mouthful. The 96-page landmark issue is an anthology all about the Dark Knight. This also happens to be Bruce's 80th anniversary. Detective Comics was already running for two years before he came along. Scott Snyder tells the story of Batman's longest case with an unexpected conclusion. Kevin Smith tells a smaller story involving the object that created Batman. Paul Dini produces a documentary about an unlucky villainous henchman. Warren Ellis shows us the caped crusader's dramatic side. Dennis O'Neill returns to Crime Alley. Christopher Priest wraps up a cold case involving the League of Shadows. Brian Michael Bendis reveals that one of the Batman rogues knew the big secret. Jeff Johns grants Bruce's birthday wish. James Tinian IV reveals Dick Grayson's turning point. Tom King brings together the Bat family for a selfie and a lot of dialogue. Peter J. DeMossi wraps it all up with what appears to be the only story truly in continuity, moving a character from video games into the DCU proper, Arkham Knight. Of course, there were multiple covers, which I couldn't justify at the $9.99 price. Now, Mark, we talked about that, and we said they should really just put out, like, a separate book of all the covers. Yes. And let somebody spend $9.99 on it. Rather than spending, you know, nine ninety nine times what, however many covers there were, there eight were. covers, yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Heroes in Crisis number seven of nine by King, Man, Moore, Fornes, and Moray. This miniseries event has been meandering for a while. This issue actually moved the story forward. The cover, at least the one we got, features Superman, who has nothing to do with the issue. It's mostly about Wally's experience at Sanctuary and the plans being made by an eclectic group of heroes, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Batgirl, and Harley Quinn, a.k.a. Blue and Gold plus the 
dynamicer duo, as Harley coins it. Wally sits in the middle of a sanctuary simulation, bringing a flower back from the dead as he remembers a poem Linda read at their wedding. He ends up creating a female figure. Is it Linda? Is it Ivy? Who then watches a second Wally about to die, which we assume is the Wally found dead later. Meanwhile, Harley is wailing on Booster, who she thinks just killed the Sanctuary heroes, while Babs and Ted commiserate over their partners. Bab learns that Booster's shield, the only thing keeping him alive from Harley's wrath, is being powered by Ted's bug via his consciousness, which she switches off by decking Ted. Booster gives up and asks Harley to kill him since he's failed the future and the past. She almost does it, then collapses, and they agree that neither of them are good at superheroing. The group then formulates a plan-ish involving tracking down the still-alive Wally using Skeets, Ted's tech, and the time stream. When Ted suggests they call in the Justice League, Babs suggests it would be better to go small since Wally may be hurting. There are a few cutaways, Batman trying to tech down, track down blue and gold via technology, while Barry just runs from continent to continent. Wally checking in weekly at Sanctuary, trying to play the game of therapy but failing miserably. So we may get out of this with a live Wally. At least we hope so. So does this mean Wally killed the others or is nobody dead? <laughs> exactly. It was this all a simulation <laughs> in Sanctuary. <sighs> Superman number nine by Bendis, Rice, Peterson, Prado and Sinclair. Superboy continues his tale of his time out there, but first, a future Superman family, Cal, Lois, John, and an adult daughter, bask in the adulation of World Peace Day. All the heroes drop by. Even the House of Zod pays its respects before dark forces eviscerate them all. It's all a daydream from Clark, who clearly needs some sleep. Back to John and his story, which begins on Earth 3. The crime syndicate attacks him, and then Ultraman throws him into a volcano where his powers dwindle away. Earth 3 has little sunlight anyway, essentially trapping him there. Over a long period, Ultraman visits him from time to time, going from Jersey City version of my dad to confessing his most innermost thoughts to John, eventually sobbing in front of the boy. After one of those sessions, John decides to use his remaining strength to set off a lava explosion to escape. After healing, he makes his way to Earth-3's version of the Hall of Justice in the hope of sending out a signal, only to find Superwoman. Ha! My husband didn't have the guts to do it. Superwoman of Earth-3 is Lois, by the way. Bendis spins a good tale here, as he does in... Action Comics number 1009 by Bendis, Eating, and Anderson. We're in the middle of Leviathan Rising, which will take us to this summer's crossover event. I'm trying to let go that Bendis had the opportunity to write a single continuity for the Superman books, but decided to blow that off. Anyway, a splash page reminds us that all of DCU's shadowy organizations are under siege, and that Argus is based in Columbus, Ohio. Before taking us to Clark's new Fortress of Solitude in the Bermuda Triangle... Isn't that where all the supernatural and magical stuff is and Superman has problems with magic? Oh, well. He's there with Lois, a recovering Jimmy, and Amanda Waller, who arrives at the Kent's apartment last issue and announced she knew his secret before passing out. Lois attacks her for A, betraying his secret, and B, bringing the bad guys to their door. Ms. Lane, you are an infant if you think I didn't know the secret to the biggest weapon on the planet. She also tells him 
Sam Lane is safe in a Columbus hospital, one that doesn't exist, by the way, and Lois then decks Amanda as Jimmy wakes up. Superman flies to check on Sam and finds the question hanging out in his room. They confer about Leviathan, and then Clark asks him to keep an eye on Sam, promising to send the Wonder Twins to help, confirming that Bendis' Wonder Comics are indeed in the DCU continuity. He then checks on Talia Ghoul only to find a note, We want the same thing, Leviathan. And the Batcave, where Alfred informs him that Bruce is in the middle of a situation with the Riddler. Cal gives him the note for forensics and then says, You don't get enough credit, Alfred. It's because he has me trapped in this cave day and night. It is a nice cave. Then off to the DEO and Mr. Bones digging through the rubble for survivors. He threatens Cal. If I find out you or any of your Justice League knew anything about this, God help you, alien. God help you and your cousin. Back to the fortress where plans are made. They realize that Spiral was never attacked, making them the likely suspect. Lois says Chaz, which angers Superman and confuses the others. Lois and Clark confer separately as Jimmy wonders if Chaz is his secret identity. Turns out that both Clark and Lois have deep undercover identities as spiral agents. Some Kryptonian tech is used to change Clark's appearance, making him African-American with curly hair and a beard. I believe this is a reference to a bizarre and tone-deaf Lois Lane story from the late 60s where Lois wanted to see the black experience using fortress technology to become black. Next issue, Andy and Chaz, Agents of Spiral. Here are three entries from Wonder Comics. Dial H for Hero number 1 by Humphreys and Quinones. Wonder Twins number 2 by Russell and Byrne. And Naomi number 3 by Bendis, Walker, and Campbell. Dial H began as a wacky Silver Age book where a kid finds a mysterious phone dial, Rotary, Natch, which turns him into various existing and new heroes, some based on suggestions from readers. It's had a few incarnations, and this one is particularly trippy. A young boy, Miguel, almost dies in a pool accident when Superman saves him, flying him to the hospital. This experience turns him into a daredevil. His parents die in unexplained circumstances, and he winds up as a teenager working and living in his uncle's poorly concepted food truck called Mayo Madness. He meets a runaway girl before his uncle tells him to clean the mayo traps. He realizes he's trapped in this small town, which makes him attempt a bike jump on a rickety ramp, sending him flying off to apparent death. As he falls, an old-style telephone appears with a voice telling him to dial H, which he does. A phone booth appears around him, and we cut to various DCers, all realizing the dial has been used, and all with a glowing four on their foreheads, by the way, for those young enough to realize it. They used to assign three letters to each number on the phone dial. So the four included the letter H for hero. Robin, Lobo, Snapper Carr, Angel and the Ape, Harley Quinn, Alfred Pennyworth all had that four on their foreheads. And they've all used the dial, right? Is Not, that the case? I don't or? think so. I think he just picked random people on the huh. I okay. don't. I don't know what the connection is for these people. Maybe, well, not. I was going to say maybe they're all from that era of the original title, but Lobo isn't. Miguel now finds himself in a trippy void. If you wish to escape, if you wish to be magnificent, if you wish to discover yourself, all you have to do is dial. I am Monster Truck. We then get a few pages of Kirby-esque parody about a guy who was given truck-like powers from the Truck Triforce. We also get a lot of bad truck puns. 
He revels in his powers, then wakes up in the middle of a car lot with police telling him to come out peacefully and please don't set off any more bombs or whatever the hell you did. The Mayo Madness truck roars in with the runaway girl driving. He jumps in, and the phone appears again with the operator at the other end. He tells him of the Heroverse, the need to protect the device, and that the Thunderbolt Club is after him. So, Mark, maybe the Thunderbolt Club is all those people. Oh, that's possible. (laughs) I I don't know what the Thunderbolt Club is. That's a new concept, I think. So do you think in this one the hero dial is a bad thing? It's more like it's an artifact that can be used for good or evil because you can literally dial V for villain. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Wonder Twins do a commentary on private prisons. They go on a school field trip to the LexCorp Prison and Call Center. The kids are given a sales talk about how prisoners are taught customer service skills. Fact, 9 out of 10 inmates who receive vocational training in prison don't reoffend. So basically what you're saying is 90% of these guys didn't really need to be in prison in the first place? Later, Beast Boy is doing a commercial for Hotness Fruity Pies, Google comic hostess ads. Superman introduces the twins to Beast Boy as one of our most experienced teen heroes. Wouldn't pick him as a role model, but maybe Superman would. Meanwhile, minor villain the Scrambler has broken out of prison and contacts Luthor. He wants to audition for the Legion of Doom. He's told there's a farm team he should join first. Back to Beast Boy, who explains how villains are caught and sent to prison. Jaina sees how this is all cyclical. Villain breaks out, he's caught, goes to prison, escapes, rinse, and repeat. Beast Boy decides to assign them the task to bring down the League of Annoyance. Roll call! Praying Mantis, Antphetamine, Baron Nightblood, a.k.a. Druncula, and The Scrambler. Poor Drunkula is just trying to stay sober and about to bite an alcohol-free couple when the twins swoop in. The truth is you don't want me to get better. He's dropped off with the police who, of course, put him in a drunk tank. Also, Zan gets a delivery of a space monkey. Over to Naomi, who is confronting Dee, the bike repair guy. He confirms he's not her father and the girl on in the picture is not her mother. He tells Naomi that he was an alien soldier and that the girl, Quayla, was his partner. After a mission went badly, they went on the run and wound up in Gemworld. They fought their way to a gateway, only for Quayla to be shot before Dee was pulled through, winding up on Earth. It's now his prison. He's not what Naomi was looking for and that bad things are coming. Naomi's foster mother breaks in, tells Naomi to leave, and then berates Dee for getting involved. We had a deal! A deal! Honor code! Naomi and mother get in the car with dad and drive away. Her dad tells her that everything they have told her is 100% true, but that there is more. They park at a trail, and mom stays in the car. Naomi and her dad go into a cave. I changed all your diapers and was with you when you were sick. So I could what? Murder you in a cave? He then reveals a spaceship to her. Dad, is this the spaceship you found me in? No, baby, it's the one I came in. And Dad is now in a spacesuit. Huh. Well, I guess we'll learn more next issue. Okay, before we get out of here, it's time to play America's fastest growing new game show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Are you ready, Mark? I'm ready. Okay, I'm going to set the timer. TV, Go. TV related? No. Uh, movie related? No. Uh, mu- music related? Yes. Ooh. Yes. Uh, is it one person on the cover? No. Is it two people? No. Is it three people? No. Is it a bunch of people? It's several people. Several people. Are they all in the same group? Yes. Hmm. And so it's some, okay, is it a group that's 
uh, fairly new? Uh, like within this decade? Yes. Okay. Ooh, boy, this is making it even harder. Uh, is it rock? Um, Did they do rock? No. Pop? Uh, a form of. A form of pop. Is it rap? No. Uh, is it uh, like um, Korea pop? Yes. Or? It is Korea it's pop. It's K-pop. Okay. K-pop. Wow. <laughs> that's, you're further than I thought you'd be. <laughs> <laughs> And that's where it ends, right there, <laughs> Korea pop. Uh, let's see. I have no idea yeah. who people are in the, the I, K-pop. I figured that, you know, if I you know got this Zilch. far, it would be good. It's, it's uh, um, BTS. Okay. A bunch of androgynous boys. <laughs> exactly. So we'll leave it at that. <sighs> and it's a double issue, if you can believe oh, that. Oh, jeez. Announcer bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.